didn't want me so that I could do things for him. He wanted me so I could be with him. There's a joy that comes from that. That there is this God that delights over me. And it's not because of the things that I've done to earn it. And so there's no circumstance that could change that joy. Hi, friends. Welcome to this week's conversation on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jaden here. I am recording this just a day after our Canadian Youth Pastor Summit here in Vancouver, BC. Over the past three days, in partnership with our friends at the Youth Worker Community, we had the wonderful opportunity of investing into youth pastors from all over Canada, representing 31 different denominations and over 8,000 students. We saw youth pastors refreshed, equipped and connected. And in reflection, our team feels like the Lord kindly answered all the prayers we prayed, leading to and within the gathering. Thank you to those of you listening in who sent your youth pastor or prayed for us during our time together. And if you're listening in and you were with us this past week, we are counting down the days until we can be in the same room again. Now, if you're a youth pastor and you're feeling like you missed out, please don't sweat it. We already are preparing to head out to the GTA in March 2024 for the Canadian Youth Pastor Summit East. To learn more or register for that, just head to youthpastorsummit.ca. Okay, carrying forward this theme of youth ministry, today we have on the brilliant Ebony Davis. Wherever you sit in your church's org chart, we think this interview with Ebony will serve you. Ebony is an associate pastor of youth at Trinity Baptist Church in Waldorf, Maryland. She has her master's in student leadership from Huntington University and was a founding member of the Arbor Research Group, which helps important mission-based organizations like Orange, Christianity Today, and Youth for Christ do thoughtful data-informed ministry. Ebony is the co-author of the book, Disrupting Teens with Joy, and I love this subtitle, Helping Teens Discover Jesus-Focused Gritty Faith. And that's one of the themes that she and Jason lean into in their conversation. How can the church be a part of cultivating this Jesus-centered joy in students? The two of them also chat about spiritual formation in the youth space, a whole church vision for youth discipleship, and Ebony also shares her deeply tragic and beautiful story of how she came to know Jesus. Thanks, Ebony, for trusting us with that. Personally, I don't think I've ever met someone who exudes as much joy as Ebony, and in the context of her story, it's clear that Jesus is all he says he is and can do what the psalmist says, redeem our lives from the pit. Without further ado, here's a word from our friends at the Canadian Bible Society and World Vision. Then we'll head in with Ebony and Jason. I want to thank our friends at the Canadian Bible Society who make this episode possible. We want to highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course. You might know World Vision for their work in child sponsorship, but did you know that they are currently serving in a hundred countries and reaching over 6.6 million people in the world's most dangerous and fragile regions? World Vision for more than 70 years has embraced the vision to take action for every child. Most recently, their workers on the ground in Turkey and Syria, who have been there since 2011, have been responding to what's been the strongest earthquake in that region in over a century. They're distributing heating and food supplies to shelters alongside tents, mattresses, tarps, heaters, and ready-to-eat food. Last year, they responded to the Ukraine crisis as well and continue to serve over 650,000 people and 250,000 children impacted by the war there. 
And here's why this matters and why our team at CCLN loves the work of organizations like World Vision. We want churches in Canada to be connected to the needs of people around our world. And we believe your church, through a partnership with World Vision, can be meaningfully engaged in the work of the global church to serve children and vulnerable people. So we want to connect you to Chris from the World Vision team. Chris is the national manager for church engagement and would love to grab virtual coffee with you. You can get in touch with him using the link in our episode description or by visiting worldvision.ca slash churches to connect with your local World Vision Church advisor in person. If your church wants to feel prepared when crises happen, we know the team at World Vision is one of the best partners to have for your church. So please reach out to our friend Chris to learn more. Well, Ebony, it is such a delight to have this time with you today. Thank you for making time and being here with us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm grateful to be here. I first got to hear you share, it was live, but via Zoom, but in a live room of Canadian youth pastors, yeah. uh, one of our youth ministry summits. And I was so just impacted by your thoughtfulness, um, your story, your passion for the local church, for the next generation. And uh, you live in this unique intersection of life in the local church, pastoring with the academy in research. Um, and that, that kind of like alchemy of just your own story and those experiences just is such an important, uh, powerful voice. And so I thought, man, we, I just would love to have her on the podcast to be able to share a bit about some of the things you're sharing um, there and more. And so thanks again for making time. It's, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for having me. And every time I um, get together, I stay with my family over in Canada or up in Canada, I just feel tremendously blessed and and welcomed and and calm and just feel like God is is here with us. So thanks for having me, Jason. Such a joy. For those that maybe don't know you very well, why don't you just give us a little a little window into your world um, and uh, where where you're giving your time, your passion, and to in these days? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, you know, if I, I am uh, uh, a daughter of the king. We start there, right? And then I am wife to Clay. We've been married for 27 years. Wow. We just celebrated our 27th year, um, uh, actually in Greece. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and I am mom to Caleb and Lily, who are two young adults. Um, both of them are in college and trying to make their own way. So that's a lot of fun. Hmm. Um but my 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 ministry and my passion is um, I'm a youth pastor at a church in um, Maryland, just outside of Washington D.C. Um, I have been serving there for um, almost 17 years, and I absolutely love it. Absolutely feel that this is where I'm called to be. Um, and so, kind of, no matter what else kind of shakes around me, um, this has been sort of the one constant. Hmm. Um, in addition to that. Um, I'm a researcher with Arbor Research Group, and we do a lot of uh, research for um, primarily Christian organizations um, that can uh, be anywhere, Christianity Today, InterVarsity, uh, people like that, um, organizations like that. Um, And um, I uh, also do some academic work um, in addition to that. And, you know, just kind of wherever the Lord is leading, (laughs) a certain period in time. Yeah. Oh, so good. Ebony, I don't want to like write a false characterization, but oftentimes people serve in youth ministry for a number of years. It's meaningful, it's life-giving. And then that gives way to other opportunities, whether it's within the context of a local church or other things that you're involved with in, in research or in, in, in study or academics, or whatever it might be, that can give away some of what you've learned. But you've made a real decision, it seems to me, to, to stay really grounded in life in the local church and life with teenagers. Can you tell me a bit about that conviction? Because surely there was moments where you thought doing both is way too much, you know, there's got to be an easier way, but you've made a real decision. Uh, I just love to hear a little bit about that for you. Yeah. I mean, I think more than anything, it really is just where the Lord has me. And I just want to be attentive um, to the Holy Spirit. Um, I um, feel like, you know, everything else that I have is really um, rooted and grounded 
in the passion for the youth that I serve. And so um, much of what I do, you know, maybe not all of the research projects, but much of what I do oftentimes just sort of starts out as a labor of love Mm. that I'm, that I'm chasing something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I love better? How do I serve better? Um, There are a lot of things as a youth pastor, even, you know, 16, 17 years in, I still have to learn. Mm. Um, And so um, I think uh, the the youth ministry that I'm in is kind of what drives me um, into the other places because it's like I need to learn how to do this better. Mm. And my very first um, research project was in multicultural youth ministry, uh, which is a great passion of mine. And, and I have taught on multicultural youth ministry and consulted on multicultural youth ministry. But really, I was just a youth pastor trying to figure out how to mm. minister to the kids that God was bringing into my ministry. Um, and even as my ministry um, uh, sort of evolves and changes and w- I see new faces, I'm trying to learn that again because mm. it's, it's a different sort of mix. And so um, really um, God has just given me passion for young people. Um, and uh, I guess that's just where it starts for me. Mm. Tell me a little bit about the conversation and the research and the work you've done around multicultural youth ministry. And I'm sure it's rooted in your own story and experiences, um, but this is an important conversation, obviously not just in the youth context for our churches as we, like I'm in Vancouver, very multicultural city, but every city in Canada to various degrees. And um, what, what kind of questions should we be thinking about as pastors trying to go, how do we be thoughtful in cities like this to do church and to build community, knowing that people are, coming from all over the world and all these different experiences. What, you know, what might you say to pastors who are wrestling with that? Yeah. Um, Before I tell you what I would say to pastors, one thing that I would challenge pastors to do is to go and worship someplace that's not comfortable. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things that really spoke to me when, when I first came to the church where I serve at, um, I, you know, here we were, this African-American family. We had uh, moved a county away from where we'd grown up. Um, And at the time, um, it was uh, still a predominantly white community. And therefore, most of the churches were. Um, And so I had a friend who moved down here, and she invited me to this church. And I remember, because we'd go all the way back to our old community, thinking, ah, we just won't fit in, mm. in churches in this community. So we'd go all the way back to our community um, and we'd um, go, try to go to church there. So this church, she invites us to, we literally drive past the first Sunday going, no, nah, I don't think the, <laughs> I don't think we're going to fit in at this church. But she kept inviting and we mm. came in. And I, I remember it just being uncomfortable, mm. but somehow feeling like um, God wanted us there for a purpose. Um, and, and of course, I believe that that purpose um, was that he would eventually call me into the youth ministry at this mm. church. Um, but that experience, and not just that experience, my husband having been in the military and, and we living in Japan, um, sort of gave us an opportunity to know what it felt like um, when everything kind of, kind of wasn't in our cultural context. Um, and sometimes how hard it could be to learn, to mm. receive, to feel like you were, that you belonged um, when things weren't in, in my cultural, con- in your cultural context. So um, I think that that would be one challenge that I would give. But then I would challenge you to look at the, the kids, not just in your church, but in your community, right? Who is God calling you to reach and, and to try to imagine what their experience would be? Would they mm. feel like they belonged if they walked into um, your church? Now, that requires some some humility, right? And not even your church. Before they get to the church, most of them are going to come in through the youth group, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when they walk into your youth group, are they going to feel like they belong? Um, and so that requires a lot of humility, um, a lot of uh, it requires a work of the Holy Spirit, um, to allow us to see with eyes because it's difficult. I see things that are that are favorable and comfortable to me, um, just like anyone else does. Um, and then to start to ask, you know, um, when kids come in who are from different backgrounds, am I asking them to leave who they are at the door in order to fit in and feel a part here? So am I asking hmm. them uh, to just assimilate 
Or can I say, I value you and your background enough um, to accommodate you, right? Now, this sounds like it's really difficult, right? Um, but when you love the kids that you're serving, right? And that was me. I was, I was just driven. I love the kids that I was serving and I didn't feel like I was serving them well. Um, you know, I always tell this story like youth ministry for me was different growing up. Right. And so I'm coming in and y'all are asking me, like, I got the teaching part down. But mm. like, why do y'all play kickball so much? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, there's not things that we did. Um, and so I just needed some time to to learn and become a student of the kids that I was serving. So that's what mm. I would say. Are you a student of the kids that you're serving when they mm. feel like they belong? Um then that's when you start to make some some ground, right? And that can be as easy as you know, what are you serving for snack? You know, mm. <laughs> you know, um, you know. Do you do you maybe think about you know? In ours, we have a um, you know a, a growing Latino population, um, and sometimes that means you know I'm I'm going to serve taquitos and not just you know pizza all the time or whatever. You know, so just um, thinking about or or how are you framing um, mm. um, the gospel? You know. Um, is it kind of a more serious thing? What are you expecting, right? Again, I'm learning. Our community is changing again. And for a minute there, when my Latina students um, weren't coming um, in with us on Sundays, I was I was in my feelings. I was feeling some kind of way, right? Mm. Well, really, they are familial, right? And so they want to be with their families. And I had to learn that that wasn't a slight on the youth ministry or anything. That was just... Um, that was just them doing what came natural to them. And so mm. we've got to become students of our students so that we can learn to love them well and serve them well um, and point them to Jesus in a way that that they can understand and is relevant to them. Mm. I really appreciate that. I, I wish I asked you earlier, how did your own personal faith come alive? Like when did you, you know, and how, how did you discover Jesus so personally? Because you got this vibrant, you know, radiant, joyful faith. Mm. Um, and I know you've cultivated over some years, but when did that most come alive for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a home with a mom who was saved and a dad who was not. And so mm. that was interesting. <laughs> um, and it caused a lot of issues, a lot of conflict mm. in, in my home. My mom come from this charismatic background. And so um, we knew a lot about Jesus because she talked about Jesus a lot, um, but she didn't actually... Um, you, you almost felt fearful of him, you know? In fact, I remember praying because I knew I was supposed to love Jesus. I remember as a child praying, Jesus, I love you. Please don't come in my room when I sleep, you know, mm. because I was afraid mm -hmm. of him. Please don't mm. come in my room. Um, and kind of went on with that. At some point, uh, my mother and father just had a massive falling out about us attending um, the church. My father just did not like it. Um, and so they agreed. And I always say it was probably the, one of the few agreements I ever had my parents um, make over the years. And they agreed that um, he would be able to take us to a local church. Um, and he would sit in the parking lot and read the paper while we went to church. So that was the agreement. They have to go to church. And he said, not yours. And so we'd go mm. and we'd sit in the parking lot. He'd sit in the parking lot, read the paper while we went to church. Um, well, there was a pastor there, a youth pastor there named Brother Jay. And Brother Jay took us under his arms like, you know, like we were his kids. And, wow. Uh, Brother Jay eventually um, feels called to go and start his church. And so we followed him. Um, and Brother Jay just really, um, I guess he, you know, he he was, very, he, he was a senior pastor. But it was a small church. It was a storefront church. It never got much bigger. Um but he would really look for the gifting in each people, so in each person. And so I was in the praise team and I worked with the children, you know, that sort of thing. And he just made sure that that we were we were a part of, of the mm. church. Um, and so but there became a time when I had a very, very traumatic event in my mm. life. Um, and when that traumatic event happened, it just kind of. And I just fell apart. Basically, I fell mm -hmm. apart. My parents really didn't know how to handle it well. It was just a really hard time in in our family, and so as a result, I became a runaway. 
And so mm. I started running. Um, I've been asked, you know, years later, what was I running from? And I said, I think I was running from myself, you know, but it was mm. all, oh, we were already in this home where there was sort of a lot of arguing and fighting. Um, and then I'd had this traumatic thing that wasn't being handled well. And I just started running away. Um, and eventually, um, my parents not knowing what else to do, um, they were writing notes back and forth to one another and eventually said, my father said, I'm not sure if I want her here anymore. And mm. I found that note. I was 13 years old. Um, and I found that note, you know, think about the age and, and how um, vulnerable our young people are about that age. And, and I get it now, like, you know, he's passed and certainly forgave it and all of that. But at that time, it was devastating. Um, yeah. And so I was running away, sort of living on the streets um, and got that. And it just broke me. Mm. But again, I knew about God. I knew about God. I knew about God. And um, my parents eventually, when I came back, um, decided to institutionalize me. And so because I was having a mental health crisis. And so um, at that time, um, it was much more common for them to keep you for a while. And so I was in this this um, institution and at some point, um, they were supposed to come see me and they didn't. And I was devastated and I never felt so completely alone, um, just broken in my entire life. And so um, that night, because I was so upset, um, they were concerned that I would harm myself. And they decided to put me in the padded room. And I sat in that room crying and sobbing and afraid and feeling so alone. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, I remember just saying, like, God, I don't have anybody else. So if you're real, like, I need you. And just really felt this. Can't explain it. I don't know. But he was there. And he let me know wow. that he was there with me in that room. And that's where I gave my life to Jesus. And then I had Brother Jay, who was sort of nurturing this this life as much as he could. Um, but I didn't know what it looked like to follow Jesus. I like, I knew what my, what was going on with my mom. Um, and she's a very godly woman. And, you know, I say she's a walking Bible and, you know, all that type of stuff, you know. Um, but because of the church situation that she was in, um, it, it wasn't really joyful. It, it actually didn't seem that appealing. Um, and mm. so I, I, I didn't know what it looked like to follow Jesus. Um, after I came out of the hospital, um, I did go, I was sent to live with my grandparents and then only came home on the weekends where thankfully I got to see brother Jay. Um, but I, I just started like, okay, I don't know what this looks like. So I'm just going to be good. Cause I'm so grateful. Like I felt God had changed something. I felt he was there that I would never be alone again. And it was like, okay, well I'm, I'm just going to be good. And so I became like the most goody of goody two shoes, or at least what I thought that looked like, that's what I became. Um, and so I got good grades and, um, you know, I was in the clubs and, you know, it, at school, um, you know, all of those types of things. I had a job, you know, I felt being good just meant, okay, I just need to have one boyfriend. As long as I only have one boyfriend, that's fine. You know, all of that type of stuff. And, and all of that seemed to work with me, work for me. Um, and then I met my husband. And I had been mm. through some things, you know, with some boyfriends. I've been through some rough things. I was young. I met my husband. I thought, this guy is perfect. I mean, he was he was so pure. You know, here I was. Um, you know, you're you're a runaway. You're on the streets. Things are happening. Bad, bad things. Hard things are happening. You know, and so here I was, sort of this damaged girl, um, meeting this sort of very pure, um, you know, sort of hometown guy, and he loved me. Um, wow. and so, um, we got married and we were young, went into the air, he went into the air force, uh, followed him, lived in Japan. Um, and it was great. It really was great. Um, and then my husband got sick hmm. and he got really sick. Um, and I was only 22 at the time when he got sick and we were told that he was going to die. Um, and I thought it was my fault. Because all I could look at it was in, and say was like, he was fine. And then he married me. And now he's going to die. And I remember being so angry with God. Like, 
Why would you take him from me? Why would you Mm. do something to him? Why wouldn't you do it to me? God, I thought we had a deal. Yeah. Um, And it was sort of through that process. You know, eventually my husband like was kind of sick of me, as he said, mourning his death while he was still around. (laughs) And eventually he kind of has this like, you know, come to Jesus moment. And, you know, and he said, quit acting like I'm dead and start trusting God. And that was sort of a jolt to me. And it made me start searching and and saying, well, wait a minute, something's missing, you know, because um, if this isn't what it's like, if if following God doesn't mean that I do the right things and then God blesses me and makes me a happy life, uh, makes me have a happy life, then then what is it to be a follower Mm. of Jesus? And that was a quest that honestly would take me right up, you know, until, you know, recent years where, you know, um, just through this, you know, Sky Jatani's work with, I don't know if anybody's read that. If you haven't, it's wonderful. You should. It was very informative. You know, this whole idea that God didn't want me so that I could do things for him. He wanted me so I could be with him, hmm. you know? Um, and then it there's a joy that comes from that, you know? Hmm. There's a joy and no, I'm getting goosebumps. Sorry. There's <laughs> a joy in knowing yeah. that there is this God that delights over me. That's what Zephaniah says, right? That he mm. delights over me. And it's not because of the things that I've done to earn it. Um, and so there's no circumstance that could change that joy. You know, in our book, we talk about this thing um, that we want to help youth discover because that's really what it's all about helping youth discover this joy. When I talk about what what makes me passionate for my young people, I know I got young people who, if they haven't already been through some stuff, they're going to go through some stuff. You know, I, I sat at the bedside during the COVID years, you know, of, of one dear youth who, who almost took their life. I know they're going to mm. go through them, through some stuff. And so I need them to know this God that gives you joy no matter what your circumstances are. That's what's driving me because that's mm. what he did for me. He met me where I was. He met me in the pit. It literally felt like mm. a pit. And then he helped me until I understood what his love really meant and what it really meant to have this father who delights over you. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's my story. Trace so joy grateful. versus state joy. That's where I was mm. getting before I started chasing rabbits. Trait joy versus state joy. Trait joy is something that's just in me. And state joy, you know, depends on what's going on. I, I want mm. our kids to have joy that lasts no matter what's going on. Mm. I really appreciate that. Um, some of the work you've done is around... Um, what are the markers or what leads to lasting faith in the next generation? And this is like, this is the conversation. It's not a new conversation. I mean, any pastor listening, we're asking the questions, whether it's somebody who's 60 years old or 15 years old or 12 years old, whatever it might be, how does what God does in their life stick? Or how do how do we help them become like Christ, stay with Christ, you know, be resilient long-term? But it's particularly an acute issue for the next generation because of what the research continues to show us, which is that there's some critical transitions, you know, in for youth and young adults, where often there's a level of disengagement that happens that can sort of predicate the long-term trajectory of uh, individuals' life as it relates to faith in the local church. And so I just love to hear a little bit about the questions you started this journey with, like what drove you into this conversation and what have you been learning through the research and through your own experience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're right when it's like, we're having a, 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 an, an awakening, I think, in youth ministry, um, because this has been something that that has been out there. When you think about people like Kenda Dean's work and stuff like that, it's been out there for a long time, but it's like, it's finally starting to hit us that mm. we have got to do something and we've got to do it quickly. Um, you know, we've got to pivot in the way that we think about um, youth ministry and, 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 um, and, and, and what we dedicate our time to. So, um, I think um, when we talk about um, what makes faith stick, Mm. um, um, in my book, we talk a lot about habits 
And so I'm going to talk about habits, but then I've got to back up a little bit. Mm. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you nuts and bolts, but then, but then we got to back up and talk a little bit about foundation as it relates mm. to young people. I think habits goes for everyone. Right. Mm. Um, um, in our book, we talk about habits um, and, and for anything that you want to do well, you have to develop a habit, right? That that's anything. Um, I think the the figure for um, uh, world class athletes is something like they've developed like or they've devoted like ten thousand hours um, to their sport, you know, in order to get to the place where they are. And so when we talk about having a relationship with Jesus and having a relationship that's going to last beyond youth group. Um, we've got to get to a place where we can help our young people develop a grit, right, mm. in their relationship with Jesus. Now, kids understand grit, right? Mm. They they understand it. If they they understand it, if they want to be on the football team, they understand it. If there's a certain um, uh, a college that they want to get into, they understand it. Even if there's a girl or guy that they really got their eye on, they understand devoting some extra attention to that, right? Um, and so in order to, if we're going to um, help them to have a resilient faith with Jesus or resilient faith in general, we have to help them to understand that their life with Jesus itself has to have some grit. Their relationship mm. with Jesus has to have some grit. They can't just kind of think of them as the nominal guy that they talk about on Wednesday nights and if they make it to church on Sunday. Um, and so some of the habits that we um, talk about um, in there, and we kind of use acronyms for everything because my partner, Dave Ron, loves acronyms. Loves <laughs> so, a good acronym. Hey, so I always say he's a little dorky when it comes to that, so sorry in advance. Most preachers over 40 Love a good acronym. So yeah, acronyms, rhyming things, like the whole thing, you know, yeah. so um, this one's an acronym, but the, okay. So we start with quest, right? So quest is having partners. Hmm. So again, if I, if I want to be on the basketball team, the basketball team always hangs out together, don't they? Um, and so when we talk about quest, it's like finding people who will journey alongside you that, that really want that relationship with Jesus that you want, right? That they're trying to go deeper as well. Um, and then the next one we talk about is best, which is short for be still, mm. right? And that is when we talk about scripture engagement. Um, so Can I just say, Ebony, that's a really good one. Like it took, <laughs> me, it, it took me a minute there. I was like, I know best rhymes with quest, but where's this one oh, going? No. They're all coming. They're all rhyming. rhyming. Come on. You got Dave Ron and in the mix. It's all coming and it's all going to rhyme. Okay. So again, my apologies in advance. No, I like it. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Be <laughs> still. Tell me more. So best means just be still. Taking time to be still with God and to get into your scripture. You know, um, I don't think... And, and maybe let me talk about myself, you know, because maybe I shouldn't put this on other people. I don't think that I was always so clear with my young people of how important scripture engagement was if mm. they were really going to run the long haul with Jesus. And I wonder if we're making that a priority when when we um, encourage them. I mean, I know we all say, oh, read your Bible this week. No, really, like it, it, it can't happen. It's, 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 it won't happen, you know? And so um, encouraging them to be still, even if it starts with, you know, one minute, five minutes a day, whatever it is, encouraging them to take some time to be still. And um, one of the things we do with be still is, is we encourage young people to read scripture and then do something with it that mm. helps it to sort of sink in. So whether you pray about it, maybe you act on it, um, maybe you journal about it. Um, maybe you sing a song or, or look up a song and add that song to your playlist, whatever it is, um, reading God's word and then acting on it. So we have quest, we have best, um, we have test. So test is short for testify, right? Um, and it means that we're, we're encouraging young people to actually say the name of Jesus. Mm. Um, now, this is not as easy as it sounds. And I acknowledge that. In fact, 
Um, I actually tested this when we started doing this. I tested this on my own kids. <laughs> and I have two kids um, who who are both followers of Christ. They, they both have their, their own way, you know. Um, they're both followers of Christ. And I said, okay, guys, I want you to go out and I want you to, to speak the name of Jesus. And it can't be, um, you know, and, and say it to anybody. It can't be um, to me, <laughs> you know, so, so not just at home. Um, it, you know, it can't be just, you know, mentioned nominally, like actually try to speak the name mm-hmm. of Jesus. Why? Um, because when we love something, we talk about it, right? We bring it out of the shadows. Um, we start to talk about it. And so for a lot of young people, that was a hard, even for, you know, again, my kids who, you know, both have their relationship with the Lord, it was a hard thing for them to do. They came back and said, boy, that's really hard. Mm. Um, So we encourage young people to testify. Um, And the last one is rest. Mm. And rest is, is that Sabbath habit. Um, Mm. Now I can tell you um, um, this part of my journey um, with writing the book and and that sort of thing, um, co-writing with Dave Ryan, um, really all started in a journey with rest. Hmm. Um, it started because we were in a, uh, a, a program that the uh, Yale Youth Ministry Institute um, had put together. They had this big grant and they were working on joy and the good life. Um, and uh, they had senior scholars of which Dale, uh, Dave was one. And uh, they said, you need a junior scholar, and we would like you to study Sabbath rest. And so Dave Ron picked up the phone, called me, and said, I'd like for you to study Sabbath rest with me. Hmm. And I think I laughed because, it was, you know, youth pastors are not known for Sabbath rest. We're not yeah. known for any rest, hmm. right? I mean, you know, once the kids leave, we're running around doing the janitor work in the building. Maybe we're on the praise team playing the drums. You know, we are, you know, we're doing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I said, okay, well, I'll study this for you. Um, And then eventually I realized, we realized together that this couldn't be just something that we studied, that it Mm -hmm. was something that we had to really dive into ourselves. So here's a great acronym for REST. Um, because I am also someone who, um, in my early years, came from a charismatic church background. Um, that was my my mom's background, um, and um, rest was a, basically a list of things that you could not do. Right, <laughs> you're not allowed to do this, 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 and this on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so, it was almost like I needed to redeem rest. Mm what God actually meant by Sabbath rest, because he meant for it to be a joy. He gave it to us as a gift. And so here's a great um, acronym for rest. So the R stands for receive the past week with gratefulness, right? Mm. So just taking time to say what went on in the last week, where did I see God? Maybe where did I miss God? Um, And and now realize that he was at work. Um, The E is enjoying who and whose you are. And that means I get to enjoy not just that I'm a daughter of the king, but that I am Clay's wife and Caleb and Lily's mom, that I am the youth pastor of an amazing youth group, um, that I get to enjoy all of those things. Um, uh, and, and, and I get to spend time, you know, with, with the people that I love. Um, the S stands for stop. And we are to stop what makes us restless. Now, I want you to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to it. Mm. Um, And the T stands for take hope in the week that is to come. Lord, what are you you, um, going to do in the next week? What have you called me to do in the next week? Um, But let's back up to that S. Do you mind? Take me there. Stop what makes you restless. Stop Mm. what makes you restless. And I think this is where um, we really need to be modeling and mentoring our young people. Because this is not just for us. This was let us as pastors make yeah. sure that we are living this because this is what we feel leads to joy so that we can help our young people to also live this. Mm-hmm. Right. So stop what makes you restless. That means I got to really have some hard reflection about what's making me restless, Mm. right? 
And a lot of times for our young people, the things that are supposed to give them joy are actually the things that are making them restless. Hmm. Um, and so, um, and that might be, you know, social media, man, it's supposed to give you joy, but it's making you restless because you're really stressed about your reputation and who's posting what or who you're being left out on. So, so things like that, helping them to understand. Mm. And, and then likewise, I've got to stop and think about what makes me restless. You know, why do I have this endless desire to, to do, to produce, Right. And do I realize that this is sort of just what the Pharaoh was trying to do, right? Mm. And so um, Jesus is saying, come into my rest, you know? And so um, I think that's a huge thing if we're going to, if we're going to help our young people develop sort of this gritty faith Mm. um, and teach them to go deep, it's this opportunity to stop, rely on God and teaching them to rest. Yeah. Mm. To quest, be still, testify and rest. Come on. I got it. It works. The thing it. about that is it's locked in. I'm, I'm never going to forget it. There's so much, there's so much that's compelling to me about all you shared. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to remember all these thoughts, but I want to just throw an idea back at you and you can tell me if, if how this sits with you or how you might say it better. I, I'm curious whether this is reflects a certain part of the church, mm-hmm. um, a certain part of evangelicalism. And this is true of youth ministry, which is the context you're primarily working on. This is true, I think more broadly. And I wonder if it's this, um, in an effort to sort of unhinge the gospel message from works, from a sense of like routine or religion, we de-emphasize patterns like you talked about, patterns of scripture reading, patterns of Sabbath, patterns of fasting, whatever it might be, testify, whatever it might be, because and we we felt we felt that those that have been involved with youth ministry for a long time, students are going, I want more than just empty religion. I want something more. And we feel like, so we, so it's, like it's, it's more than just these things. And then, so I don't know the timeline of this, but for however many decades we've been going, you know, preaching a, a gospel that's unhinged from maybe these patterns. And then what we, I feel like what we've experienced in the last little while here are people going, okay, but what does this look like to follow Jesus? Yeah, And it's like, You've told me about the relationship. You've told me the good news. Yeah. You've told, it's, it's like, how do I actually live this out? And what's really compelling about what you're sharing is that you guys are discovering that even with high school students, we need to give them practices yeah. that actually anchor them in that deeper reality of God's love, like move it from like ideas to our bones yeah. and are actually our practice in day-to-day life. It, how, how does that feel? Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to put my pulse on something that is happening in the church right now, which is we're going... We need to recover some ancient practices, oh, yeah. but f- and and but figure out how to introduce our church to them in a way that doesn't undermine this essential. Like you don't earn your way in. Like that's the tension sometimes we feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it is a tension. And and um, for someone who um, you know, a huge part of my my testimony was trying to years, decades, or a decade, trying to earn that. Mm. Um, what I felt God had forgiven me from. Um, and so I think there there is that tension that we've got to figure out how do we put these practices in um, without them being legalistic because I've been yeah. in that in that place too. And it really is um, helping kids to discover joy and love mm. for Jesus. You know, mm. um, you know, one of the things that, and I've, I've had interesting debates, you know, and I, I, um, I think Sabbath is a, is a, a, a great place to start with this. I've had interesting debates about Sabbath um, because, you know, Sabbath has to be on and then name yeah. your day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I just preached Sabbath. We're in the Ten Commandments at our church and I was assigned oh, Sabbath. So I'm fresh. If you want to do the debate right now, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I just know you know, for me, from a very practical standpoint, um, Sabbath generally is pretty tough, not going to happen on Saturday and Sunday, but I can definitely say um, I'm going to give one day a week a consistent day so that I have a routine um, and Mm. a time. And I mean, you know, all the way up to there, it's like, oh, it's coming. You know, I think about the, the the preacher that preaches about Easter and he says, Sunday's coming. You know, you have that same excitement. Sabbath is coming. 
Um, Come on. And so I think the key to that is making this about helping kids to learn to love Jesus and not to hit the check marks, hmm. right? Um, even in my Bible reading, I tend to follow a, a Bible plan because if you can't tell, I can be a little um, scattered sometimes and chase rabbits, right? Which is not a bad thing when you're when you're that's reading a, the Bible. But I tend great. to follow Bible plans and I have certain yeah. ones that I like. Um, and even things like, you know, if I sit down and I can't give my full attention to Jesus and I can't give my full attention to the word that I'm I'm reading at that time, then maybe I'm not going to get through the whole, you know, whatever I've got planned um, mm-hmm. for that day, because it's more important that I have attentiveness to Jesus, right? And and um, authentically sort of seeking love um, and, a, and a deeper relationship and depth with Jesus rather than trying to check the boxes. And so again, mm. we've got to start modeling that um, and then helping our young people to understand Um but at the same time, we can't go so far with that, which is what we've done, where those things seem to have all but disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're mm-hmm. important. They were important to Jesus, you know, and so yeah. they need to be important to us. What, do, what have you learned? Because I think this is when we introduce the idea of what they call them formative practices, spiritual disciplines, habits, rhythms. Um, as you introduce them to people who maybe are, are, are new believers or maybe been following the Lord for a long time. Um, any best practices for how do you introduce this? How do you invite people into it in a way that's gonna be life-giving? Yeah. Um, that helps them discover the uniquenesses of their own wiring and personality within the context of that practice. Like what have you learned about how we might best take those that we're discipling in our churches on that journey? Yeah, um, I'm gonna go back to that word quest. Hmm. Um, that this is a journey that we do together. Um, and it doesn't mean that we, um, you know, that the way that I engage scripture has to be the way that, you know, this young person or this adult engages scripture. Um, but I think that quest piece is so, is so important. I think making it a regular part of our, our, our conversation is so important. I think sharing the joys that we, you know, find in scripture or, or find in our time of worship or find in our Sabbath, um, I think is such a, is such an, um, important thing. Um, you know, a lot of times there, there are other things like, uh, you know, with young people, they love music, um, obviously. Um, and so sometimes it's, you know, it's, uh, I've done things like, oh, you like music. Now we cannot make music a substitute, but wow, you know, let's see how this connects with, you know, this scripture um, mm. and helping them to really dig in. Um, my young people love when we take a song and go line by line. And I just say, you know, what jumps out of you? What's the scripture that jumps out at you? Um, so just helping them to know that they can form those habits around who God created them to be. Mm. Um, but just that they, the, the habits are, are really kind of non-negotiable, you know, (laughs) the habits Mm. are really something that, that we, because scripture calls us to do them. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about Sabbath as it relates to um, young people? Because I think, you know, it sounds like you worked out Sabbath a little later in life, like myself, like it was, it was later and it came out of such demanding schedules, so much going on Mm -hmm. and it's like a lifeline, like a necessity, you know, that you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Um, I think a false idea would be, well, high school kids, their lives aren't as complicated, therefore, yeah. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and like <laughs> school, homework. I mean, it's false on a ton of levels because one is they're so busy. Yeah. And even if, even if their schedules aren't busy, the busyness of the digital age Ooh. creates like a, a, like a frenetic sense of activity, even if you're at home by yourself. Yep. Um, but like, I'm sure there's a point in your process where you're like, Sabbath, is this a, is this, is this a, uh, like, is this for children and youth? Mm. But just tell me about how that, that train of thought and what you kind of discover along the way as you kind of go, nope, this is a practice for all of Jesus followers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, tell me a bit about that processing. I think it's been so life-giving for me that I want it for my young people. And I think that's the place that we have to get where um, it's not just something that, oh, here's the things that should be happening or that young people should be doing, um, that we realize that some of these things are so um, important 
for our own spiritual survival, you know, <laughs> that we must have, you know, we, we are driven for our for our young people to experience the same thing in, in the same way um, that I know most of us or hopefully all of us can say, you know, Jesus, I met Jesus and he changed my life in such a powerful way. And that is what makes me get up and do what I do every day because I want young people to experience this. And so mm. when we get into the small parts of that, um, I think um, Sabbath can be another thing that we say, you know, this really um, is impactful and important to my to my walk and to my faith and my sustainability that I want my young people to have it. Um, mm. With that said, can we just keep it real? It's really hard to get young people to Sabbath. Like I ain't going to sit here and talk like <laughs> Yeah. And talk like, oh, yes, I go into my youth group and, and yeah. suddenly everyone's Sabbathing. No, they're not. You know, no, it's it's a very um, difficult thing to get them to do. It's a very, you know, uh, Moses is, is, is bringing the people out of slavery and they're like, maybe we should go back, you know, <laughs> go back. And what are they going back to? The taskmaster. And in, and in our case. The young people have been told that the the taskmaster and I'm and I'm not I don't I don't want to demonize social media because it can be used for very good things you know but it, it does it, it keeps them sort of at an endless cycle of productivity um, and yeah. it's supposed to be their their recreation and mm-hmm. so um, how difficult is it um, for them to put that down when they have that sort of misconception already yeah. about exactly what it is and what role it plays in their life. Um, and so um, encouragement, modeling, starting small, mm. um, you know, even if saying, hey, you know, and, and it may start with something as small as, and I know a lot of a lot of ministries do this. Hey, when you come in here, let's put your cell phones in uh, in the box, you know, whatever. Um, and then maybe encouraging them, hey, could you take an, an hour? I want to challenge you. Take an hour this week. Um, and here's what that hour might look like. Hmm. Um, so starting small and and knowing that, um, you know, you know, here I am, I'm a woman with two grown adults, um, you know, and this is something that, you know, just a few years ago, I was literally laughing at when I thought, hmm. you know, youth pastors and Sabbath, what is, what is that? Um, and so, yeah, I think that um, um, being realistic not in, not allowing ourselves to be to to get frustrated, um, but helping them to experience it, and then trusting the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. Hmm. Um, because yeah, okay, maybe I'll challenge them to take that hour. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to show them that that hour was worthwhile. Hmm. Um, yeah. One of the challenges that I feel as a pastor is I you know. I was doing youth ministry really hands-on um, before we planted this church. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling myself like, I'm gonna be the lead pastor that's so engaged in next gen work <laughs> and I'm gonna be the biggest advocate. And, and I hope to some degree I've, I've kept to that, but I, then all of a sudden all of the responsibilities of the church become before you and all the different pockets of the church. And it can feel hard to hold everything in focus. Yeah. But, but I feel like one of the reasons, and I, I don't mean to be too critical, we find ourselves in the spot we're in as the church, we'll call it in North America, mm. as it relates to the next generation is because we've sort of delegated out the work of discipleship and and outreach to youth ministers or a few or whatever and say, they'll do that. And what we end up with is people who maybe engage in youth ministry, but then when it comes to the shift from youth to whether it's college, university, professional life, married life, the church is not a safe place. It isn't home. Right. It isn't. It isn't that place, and so they don't make the turn. Yeah. Um, and that disengagement from Christian community can also sometimes be a precursor for broader disengagement with faith. Yeah. And so, what what might you say to pastors who they're not they're not hands on leading the youth group week to week, or but how might we build churches that reach the next generation? and ultimately build multi-generational families, communities um, that can become a long-term home for young people discovering faith. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that problem is something that we have 
in a lot of churches, including mine, and um, for many years, um, anytime you said anything about the youth, it was, well, that's Ebony's department. She'll handle that. Um, and so now we're kind of in a place where, um, and, I, and I think my pastor, well, my pastor is on board, is very much on board of um, we've got to start. He has a saying. He says, um, pastor is not my title, is not my title, is my function or something like that, in other words. And so we all have a piece of it. So it's it's we need the pastor to kind of set the vision um, but we need more than the youth pastor and the pastor together. We need the mm. whole church um, because we know that uh, for young people and the, and the research is coming again, even though it's already been out there, but sort of the next round of research um, that resilient faith with young people um, happens most often um, because they have had adults invested in their lives who can model that for them. Right. Mm. And not adults invested in their lives on, you know, Wednesday night. And not to say that Wednesday night doesn't have a place or Friday night, whatever your night is. It does have a place and it's an it's an important time. But that's not really what does it, so to speak. What does it is really to have these consistent, loving adults who are walking alongside you, who are letting you see, letting young people see what it looks like. To, to be a follower of Jesus, what it actually looks like, who are walking alongside them and integrating them into the life of the church. And of course, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Um, but I think maybe one of the best things we can do is get the senior pastor to on board with that vision, if they aren't, and then casting that vision throughout the entire church. Mm. It is a hard turn. And I, I can tell you now, because I'm in, I'm in the middle of it, <laughs> It is a hard turn when you have been a church that for many, many years, you said, that's what we pay this person to do. Um, and it's not our responsibility. Um, but we'll send, we'll chaperone, we'll send a few sponsorships for camp, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, thanks. But um, so it really has to be turned into a whole church vision. Then um, our young people will feel comfortable being integrated into the life of the church, hmm. right? Because, you know, we'll bring them in, we'll we'll drag them in, but they don't feel comfortable there. They don't feel like they belong there. Um, and so, but if they know, you know, sister so-and-so who sits next to them every week, then they will. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Ebony, I'm, I'm so personally strengthened and edified by this conversation. Mm. I'm grateful for you sharing your story, what you've learned, your heart, your, your contagious human to be with. <laughs> I feel drawn into the joy of the Lord and I'm grateful for that. And I'm sure for anyone listening, they're grateful for your time invested. And so thank you so much. Thanks for the research you're doing. Thanks for being a long haul youth pastor. Yeah. I'm praying that God would raise up a lot more for our time, men and women that that are in that for a long time so they can pass on their expertise and their care and the wisdom that comes from that, just like you have. And uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today and sharing, I'm so grateful. I appreciate you and thank you for what you do. And I, I just wanna encourage all of the, the youth pastors listening that man, God has given your, your young people a lot of things. Maybe there's a lot of resource, but you are their greatest resource in terms of what the church has because has to offer mm. you are the person that they get to walk alongside with that will walk alongside with them and help them discover this joy with jesus amen amen what a joy to have you on ebony thanks for clearly living so deeply in jesus we loved being with you and learning from you now, before we go, I wanna express gratitude to a few people who helped make this episode happen. Special thanks to Nick Corbin for arranging and editing the interview, Jason for facilitating the conversation, and to Rachel Sousa and Will Lee for your contributions. The Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is one amongst a few things that we do at CCLN to strengthen pastors in Canada. These conversations, along with our gatherings, cohorts, and resources, 
are made possible by a generous community that believes that much can change in a church and in a place when the pastor gets healthier. If this mission of fostering health and strength in pastors is something that you feel your heart being moved to, we want to invite you to join our giving community at ccln.ca slash give, where you can make a one-time or a regular donation. And for pastors who have already benefited from our work at CCLN, we want to invite you and your church to partner with us. You can find out more about that at ccln.ca slash churchpartners. Thanks for considering becoming a part of this community that's lifting up pastors across our nation. Well, that's it for me. Lord bless you as you continue to serve young people personally, and as you consider how your church can see this next generation thrive in Jesus. Bye for now.